As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's 4 to 6 A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landish joined by Ari Wasserman and a special guest on this episode of 4 to 6 with A&B. It is Colton Pouncey, our Michigan State writer. Colton, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Doing great. we got a big game this weekend. I'm, I'm uh, excited to cover it. should be fun. Yeah, it does. Oh, well, Ari and I always do this thing. We're like, is this actually a big game or is it not a big game? And I'll be curious to hear Ari's thoughts on this because I actually am. I'm a little, I'm a little juiced up for this one. The top 10 game in the shoe, noon game, playoff and Big Ten stuff on the line. I, th- I think it's fun. Ari, uh, feel free to, to, to rain on that parade. Do you think this is a big game? <laughs> I think it's a big game. I think Michigan State is probably the best team that Ohio State will have played this year so far. Yeah. I think Michigan State and Oregon are very different teams and probably pretty comparable. You know, I, and I feel like if Michigan State were maybe in that spot that Oregon was in early in the season with Ohio State's defe- deficiencies, they could have won that game at that point. Yeah, I think that's right. I think this is – well, I, I guess we – I'll ask Colton about this later about Michigan and compared to Michigan State. But I think to this point there's no question that Michigan State is, is the best team that Ohio State has played um, or at least is – I don't know. We know more about them than we knew about Oregon at the time. So, But I, I would take Michigan State head-to-head head, uh, against Oregon right now, I think. Um we're going to dig into the game a little bit, talk a little bit about Mel Tucker's program, what he's building there, what that might mean for Ohio State uh, moving forward here in the future as, as we 
like ponder this uh, matchup within the Big Ten. Uh, and then Ari's got got some beef with with Colton as well. That I, Colton the thinks In and Out Burger isn't good or overrated. Oh, that's what this is about. All right. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it, it I is overrated. We can get into that later, but it is. Wow. Yeah. I and I feel like we'll I'm, catch I'm you guys next Ari week on four here. to six with A and B. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 How on earth are you supposed to be taken seriously on this podcast? That people already know you're full of shit before we even start. Yeah. Like what, what? What? We had this talk. What? What was that? Four or five months ago when we were in uh, L.A. Yeah, we were in uh, L.A. for the opening, and him and I had the discussion in the car for thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't drop it. I couldn't drop it. And here we are, six months I, later, and I'm still. I stand by everything I said then. I'll, I'll, I'm down around the back. Let's do it. Ari, Ari debating someone about a cheeseburger for thirty minutes while in California <laughs> is the least surprising thing I've heard today. Uh, but we will we will get into that because it's important. And we talk about the important topics here on, on Fortis. I mean, listen, buddy, we're talking about Michigan State here, and I saw Stuart Mandel's bowl rankings, which were completely nonsensical <laughs> in every facet of the and I'll say that to his face. There's no scenario in the history of the planet that we could come up with where Alabama would finish number three. Even if he were to somehow be correct that a two-loss team were to make the playoff, they would at the very best be four. But in the rankings, I think I saw in his bowl projections that are usually pretty good – that Michigan would go over Michigan State in his his mind to the Rose Bowl. And I'm wondering if both Michigan State and Michigan were to lose to Ohio State and win all the rest of their games, it would be absolutely unbelievably dumb that Michigan State would not go to the Rose Bowl. It's like, and I know that like I don't really care, and I've said that the rankings and how they're matched right now, like even though it doesn't seem to make sense because Michigan State won the head-to-head, it's all bullshit anyway. It doesn't matter. But in the end of the road, if it does come down to that and Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl and Michigan State doesn't, that would be the dumbest shit in the history of the college football playoff rankings. Well, and and that's a good point that you brought up because I think that's being talked about out here um, with the two schools since, you know, one school did win the head-to-head. That school's Michigan State. Um, And I saw Stu did a mailbag uh, earlier today, and I think – you know, by what he said, the, the Rose Bowl will take the higher ranked team. So that's why I think the rankings do matter. Like, it's not going to matter in this grand scheme of the CFP if both schools lose to, lose to Ohio State. But in terms of, you know, both spots and, you know, both schools, I would imagine, want to go to the Rose Bowl. So if it comes down to that, they'll take the higher ranked team. And then I think it's a matter of, okay, which team can give Ohio State more of a battle um, if it's so close and they already have Michigan ahead of Michigan State. So I think, like, Michigan State would need to keep this a close game to kind of jump Michigan in the rankings that, as things are right now, since the CFP thinks that Michigan's a better team. Um, so that's why I do think it matters a little bit. I wouldn't agree. I, I think that Michigan State, because they won the head-to-head, I'm with you. Like, they should probably get the Rose Bowl spot if they both finish, you know, 10-2 and two with losses to Ohio State. But you never really know with this committee and how they rank things and what the Rose Bowl is looking for. Well, you don't deserve to go to Pasadena, Colton. I don't deserve <laughs> if, if you don't if you don't enjoy the best delicacy of that Man. area of the country then you Man. don't get to go I'll, eat, I'll go to the, this if they go to the Rose Bowl I'll, I'll eat I'll eat a burger for you just out there that's the only time I'll do it so what? you get to live with what is that a sac- you think that's a sacrifice that's, yeah. sac- that's a sacrifice. <laughs> what a hard life Colton has will actually have to stomach eating in and out I know, of California in January. What do you want credit I'll, for I'll, that? I'll, I'll even do here. animal style just for you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the hell they call it. Well, the good news is that if they both go ten and two, that uh, Colton they will be in in the Fiesta Bowl, which is also a really great bowl to go to. And there is an in and out in Phoenix, so you'll be you'll be covered either way. Either way, you're eating an in and out burger, so get ready for it. Yeah, and let us know how terrible it is when you do. 
Colton, but before we talk about the game this year, I want to I want to ask you about last year because you know I I told Ari before we started recording like I I had forgotten that Ryan Day didn't coach last year somehow that that like had slipped my mind uh, that Ryan Day tested positive for COVID that week and then like I don't know half of Ohio State starters were out that week and I I think Mel Tucker was asked about this and and kind of maybe sidestepped the, the premise but I am wondering like the idea that Ohio State went to East Lansing last year with like a skeleton crew and missing three coaches, including its head coach, and then just kind of ran Michigan State off the field in that game. Does that something that still sits with them coming into this one? Like, was that any kind of, I don't know, wake up calls the right thing for Mel Tucker about just how dire his situation was there? But like, th- is there any lingering effect from that game last year? So, yeah, I mean, Mel kind of downplayed it this week. But if I'm reading between the lines, I think it definitely made an impact. Because after that game, you know, he had one of his probably most memorable uh, quotes where he was like, look, man, this is compete to play, compete to stay, right? Like if you're not going to bring it every single day in practice, if you're out there loafing on the field and not giving it your all out there, like you're not going to be on this team. You're not going to be on this roster. Like you will be out of here. And that's was kind of the precursor to what we saw this off season where 27 players enter the transfer portal. Um, you know, I think they had conversations with players, you know, one by one, sitting down with them at the end of the season and let them know where they stood. I think that was one of the games that kind of, cemented that um, and where Mel wants to take that roster uh, after the season was over. So as much as he's trying to downplay it, was like, you know what? You know, we treat every game the same. I'm not sure I technically buy that. You know, I I will say he has this sort of mentality where he's kind of even keeled. And, you know, some of that stuff is true. But for a game like that, where he knows the history of Ohio State, he he wants to measure up his program to Ohio State because that's how you win the Big Ten. It matters. If you can't compete with those guys and that's the effort you're showing on a field like that, then you're not going to help this team get to where it wants to go. So you're not going to be on the roster. And I think he kind of made that clear last year. Colton, you you are, I, not to spoil anything, but you, I think you're working on a story that involves Trestle yep. right now. And I'm wondering, and I want to kind of do a victory lap on this podcast because I think I deserve it. And I'm an arrogant asshole. Last year, when I was writing a column about Michigan, I said I would rather start if I were the Michigan athletic director from this point on with Mel Tucker as my head coach than Jim Harbaugh. And everybody in Ann Arbor went crazy about that. Now, I don't think that's so crazy. And I'm wondering, does Mel Tucker's history as an Ohio State assistant, and I know that he has history at another pretty good program too, but his history with Jim Trussell at Ohio State, do you think that gives him the temperament or the understanding as Michigan State's head coach of what it takes to be elite? And do you think that that puts Michigan State on a – on an elevated expectation plane where he knows this is what you have to be at this program if we ever want to do what we're supposed to do or what we could. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, not just Trestle, but like like Nick Saban, he's been with him at three different stops. He basically will tell you every time you ask him who are the men that kind of shaped him, who are the coaches that kind of shaped his, you know, mentality as a head coach himself, he would say Jim Trestle, Nick Saban, and Romeo Cornell. And, um, I think what he learned from from Trestle at Ohio State, I asked him that in the press conference this weekend, he said he learned how to be a servant leader, which is kind of making yourself available to everyone in the program. And, you know, he would see he said he told a story where he would see uh, Trestle at the building at 5 a.m. And he's responding to emails and stuff like that at like 530 and, you know, making sure that every assistant knew his role. Um, everyone in the program had a role. I think that's what he kind of took from Ohio State. And that's the same way that he runs his program at Michigan State. And, you know, he sort of has a CEO mentality. Um, you know, I think that's kind of carried him. And, 
you know, I think the players really bought into it this year. I think that's one of the reasons why Michigan State's at the spot where they are because they have that collective buy-in. And uh, Mel's messaging from the top is very clear and it's very consistent. So if you are looking for a modern coach to run your program, um, you know, he's he's involved in recruiting. Um, you know, he'll take the lead on some of those recruitment battles and run point. Um, he makes sure all of his coaches are held accountable for the rooms that they have and the players that they're adding. So you need you have that stuff and, you know, he's fully bought into that. Um, and also he's kind of this old school mentality coach where he learned from Saban and, you know, the discipline stuff. So he's got a little bit of both. And I think that's why I sort of agree with your take last year. Um, obviously Harbaugh and Tucker are both having success this year, but, you know, I understand why Mel Tucker has become the hot name that he's become. It just seems to me like there's <clears throat> like, I've obviously, you know, I'm on a podcast with Ari Washburn, so I, I would never pretend that, uh, landing elite talent is not the most important thing. And I, and I realized that Mel Tucker has to continue to do that uh, moving forward if he wants to be competitive with Ohio State and competitive in the Big Ten. But I, but I will say in, in a short time there, it does really feel like he's got a clear vision for what he wants to build that thing or how he wants that thing to look as, he, as he's building it. And there's like an alignment there and an organization there that may I guess probably comes from Saban and comes from Trestle and, and uh, maybe even from Romeo Cornell as well. Just like I, I'm not so sure. I think coaches sometimes when they take over a job, like have an idea of what they want it to look like. I'm not sure I've seen many that kind of implement that vision kind of as swiftly as Mel Tucker has. Yeah, I think part of it because he was waiting so long for an opportunity like this. You know, like at, when you've been at LSU and Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia, like you'd think that you would get a shot sooner than he did, but he had to wait until you know 2019. I think he was 47 at the time or 48 when he took over at Colorado. Um, to get that first, you know, head coaching uh, shot at the college level. So he's kind of been preparing for this moment for a long time. And because he's been at so many places with so many great head coaches, I think he's taken a little bit of everything. Um, I think there was a story when he was interviewing for the Michigan State job. He brought this, like, big-ass binder full of, like, everything he wants to do at Michigan State, everything he thinks he can accomplish. And that really resonated with the higher-ups at Michigan State, one of the reasons why he got that job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of – a program builder, you know, I think he's doing a great job. Obviously, he has them, you know, nine and one in year two after going two and five last year. I think that's a testament to, you know, what he wanted to do, his vision for the program. You know, he's doing it on recruiting. He hit the transfer portal hard. Um, you know, he has the sort of mentality that you look for in a coach. He's instilling that on his players. They're all bought in. So in terms of someone that can run a program, can lead a program, you know, he's doing a great job. And um, it'll be interesting to see how this you know, continues to shake and, t and take, take form, I should say, um, you know, the further along he gets in his tenure. Colton, I'm happy that you brought up the transfer portal because I think you wrote one of the better stories uh, of the vertical the last year, and that was how Mel Tucker jumped into the portal and got instant impact players. I mean, is Kenneth Walker any good? Oh, he's a little good. You know, like there's certain <laughs> – there's a lot of contributors that are on that – in that team and in that starting lineup that came out of the portal, and I know that – you know, I'm kind of a stars snob, and I think maybe covering Ohio State for 10 years has kind of altered my viewpoint of what normal uh, recruiting results should look like. But I'm looking at Michigan State's class in 2022 right now, and I see it's ranked number 18, and I think that's good. But I don't see a single top 150 player in there. And if you want to win the Big Ten or be consistent in the playoff discussion, that's, that's simply not going to cut it even though people at Michigan State and, and their fans are probably pleased with the way things are looking. I get that everybody has different tiers and everybody has different expectations, but still, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow if you want to talk about winning the Big Ten. That said, how sustainable is Michigan State's um, portal uh, success? Is that something that he, just, that he just did once and 
kind of, you know, was able to really capitalize on it, but might not be sustainable? Or is that something that you think a team like this could do every year? Like what made him good at that? Yeah, you know, it started with conversations probably in late October, early November even. Um, you know, that was kind of an emphasis even before they, they lost to Ohio State, before some of those games that went sideways. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because the portal, I think it's a unique situation what happened with Michigan State last year um, because Mel Tucker was in his first year. Um, players had immediate eligibility. It was kind of the perfect storm of like, okay, there's going to be an attrition just because he's a first-year coach and, you know, that's sort of his philosophy. Whereas, like, if you're not good enough to be on the roster, there's the door, like plain and simple. That's kind of how he runs his, his program. It's not going to be like that every year, but for a first-year coach, you know, attrition is normal. So I think that timing of that, along with immediate eligibility, and obviously the transfer portal has become more and more involved in the game, uh, I think he really wanted to hit it hard, and he had positions of need at cornerback, at linebacker, running back, and he hit it hard. I think he added basically one player from every position except for, like, you know, the interior offensive line maybe and, like, defensive tackle. Um, that's about it. So he really hit it hard, and that was a point of emphasis, like, throughout the offseason. And, you know, I don't know if that sort of level where they added 15 guys on scholarship, I don't know if that is, you know, sustainable. Um, I, and I don't even know if that's what they want to do going forward. I think it was kind of like, a again, a perfect storm that like that last year. Um, but I still think they're going to be very active. You know, there's a new rule where I think you can sign up to, you know, seven additional players if you have seven players transfer out. Um, so I think they're going to work that and take advantage of that rule and either use that in recruiting or with the transfer portal. Um, but at the same time, Mel Tucker will tell you, I want to build through the high school ranks. And Ari, I know you're a big stars guy. They are trying to get some of those five stars. They're recruiting Keonta Goodwin, uh, the Kentucky commit. They're trying to flip him. He was on campus a couple weeks ago. He's going to be back, I think, in early December for an official visit before he makes his decision. Um, I think Harold Perkins, who's, a, I think he's number 11 in the 2022 class right now, um, he's trying to find a way to get out here. So they are trying to get some of those higher-end guys. Um, I would guess in future years, like 2023, you'll see more four stars added. I think the floor of what the class can be was going to be a lot higher than anything D'Antonio saw. Like, D'Antonio's highest recruiting class, I think it was number 17 in 2016. Kind of a disaster there. Mel's got him at number 18 in his second year. So I think the floor is going to be raised. We're going to have more talent. And he believes in his coaching staff to get the most out of those guys. So between that and the transfer portal, I think you can kind of make up for it. But they're never really going to be on that Ohio State, you know, um, Alabama, Georgia level. But I think there are ways around that. Landis, do you think that a team – just I wanted to get your opinion on this. Do you think that a team can sustain not just Michigan State but anybody as the transfer portal becomes more and more prevalent? That a team can say, listen, we're never going to sign an Ohio State-like class. We'll do our best to build through, but we're going to be elite at identifying talent in the portal, and we're going to build our team the way Michigan State built it and make that their plan. Can can a program be good doing that? I think so, and I think it depends on – if you have the eye for talent, right? Like there's an eye for talent. Like D'Antonio, when he was building this program, had an eye for the underrated two stars, the three stars, uh, a lot from Ohio that he used to kind of say, look, we're going to build a winner with these guys. So I think it depends on your eye for talent. Now you can do the same thing with the transfer portal, right? Like Michigan State, Kenneth Walker was a two-star recruit. You know, um, he was committed to Kent State at one point before Wake Forest flipped him, like right before signing day in 2019. And, um, I think with that, it's like, that's sustainable. If you find good players that, you know, want to play for a bigger program, Jaden Reed was another guy that D'Antonio brought in. He was at Western Michigan, 
like I think he was ranked like 1500th in this class. Um, you know, he's one of the best receivers in the Big Ten right now. So I think you can do it if you have the eye for talent. Not every coaching staff is going to have that eye. So Michigan State kind of trusts their evaluation and trusts that they can find those players and unearth them every year. Um, but I think it's probably situational based on your staff and, you know, the players that they can find out there. And that's Michigan State at its very core, right, Bill? I mean, that's yeah. that's what they've been. Even if it's not through the portal, Michigan State has always had a very good eye for talent. Yeah, it's it's like <clears throat> it's it's why when when we thought for a time that like Luke Fickle was going to take that job, that it seemed like a very natural fit because that's kind of what Luke did when he was recruiting for Ohio State and what he's doing now at Cincinnati. I think the ideas are are very similar. And frankly, it's like it's it's sort of I know Trestle had some really good recruiting classes and got a lot of of like headline worthy four and five star prospects, but he got a lot of those three-star developmental guys particularly in the state of ohio too that were coached up and became really good players so the, the idea that mel tucker would kind of be implementing a similar kind of vision is not is not ultimately surprising to me I don't, I don't think it's sustainable for just anybody i think you have to have the right kind of temperament um to kind of manage a roster that's always in flux like that and then the, the keen eye for talent like like colton said to really make it work and, and, and not everyone's cut out that way but but it seems to me to bring in all the new players that Michigan State brought in this year and to be this good like from the jump with, with that kind of roster turnover tells me that, that Mel Tucker and his staff, frankly, are cut out to, to handle that. Yeah, 100%. And not only, is just, not only is it adding the players and getting them just on the roster, but I think what that did was the remaining players, the ones that basically weren't told to look elsewhere for playing time, um, yeah. you know, they see all these new guys coming in and I think what Mel told them is, look, we want you to stay, but you also have to be able to stay here and compete for your spot. And if you do that, you know, you'll be in a good good position, even though we're bringing all these guys. Like, just do your job, stay focused, and give us what you can, and you'll find a way on the field. And that's kind of what we've seen so far. Um, in fall camp, that was a big thing where, you know, they brought in, like, I think four scholarship cornerbacks. Um, they brought in, you know, a couple of new linebackers and um, just players all over the field. And a lot of the guys that are still playing are guys that were recruited by Mark Antonio. And I think they kind of took that upon themselves to say, okay, well, I'm not just going to give my spot to another guy. Um, I'm going to stay here and compete. And I think that was the mentality that Mel Tucker wanted to see from them. A guy like Peyton Thorne, I honestly thought that Anthony Russo would probably be the starter. Because when you bring in a grad mm -hmm. transfer who's in a sixth season from Temple who has NFL aspirations, um, you know, I think that most people would assume that you bring a guy like that in, he's probably going to be the starter. But Peyton Thorne, who was a underrated D'Antonio recruit, um, kind of a last-minute addition, a flip from Western Michigan in 2019, uh, you know, he st he kind of took that upon himself and was like, well, I'm not going to win this unless I give my best effort, unless I, you know, go out there and you know, take advantage of this moment. And that's what he did. He trained hard all offseason. Um, I had people telling me, like, he's looking like a dude this year. And that was, I think, it was as a result of uh, Anthony Russo and, you know, that competition there. So not only was it getting those players and the 15 transfers onto the, the field and into the mix, but also that, you know, raising the level of competition across the board at each position, I think helped Michigan State. And that's one of the reasons why they're at, in the spot that they're at right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I like to, uh, and Ari and I do, do this sometimes throughout the year, a- analyzing a game or an opponent kind of this way, and that is to say, how many guys on this other team could play for Ohio State? Um, which I know sounds incredibly arrogant. <laughs> but, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but, but it's kind of, it's kind I mean, of Colton, uh, you laugh, but the best most, lens I think we have to kind of look through to, to determine whether or not a team is capable of And Colton of might laugh at this, Bill, but a lot of times the answer is like two. Yeah. Well, like last week against Purdue, it was like, well, they have two. And like, is two enough? And it turns out two was not enough. Uh, Michigan State seems like it has a handful, I, I would say. Um, you know, like Jaden Reed, I don't think would play ahead of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, but I think he would be good enough in a different season to start as a receiver at Ohio State. Kenneth Walker, same deal. I don't know if I'd start him over Trevion Henderson, but I think he's good enough to play at Ohio State. Um, and then on the defensive side, like if Jacob Panashuk and Jacob Slade and like maybe even um, – What's his uh, Barrow were on the Ohio State's roster? Like I think all three of those guys might start on Ohio State's defensive line right now because Ohio State's defensive line is just not, you know, quite the level of of special. Maybe is the right word that, that we're kind of accustomed to seeing around here. Um, so I, I don't know. I know Colton, you don't watch every second of Ohio State football just as we don't watch every second of Michigan State football. But when you look at these two rosters, like how do you think Michigan State compares from a talent standpoint? And and are, are there areas? As we like, kind of get into the game a little more, where you think Ohio State just has like a clear advantage that Michigan State's not going to be able to, able to overcome. Yeah, I think this MSU roster has some NFL dudes on it. Um, I think Jaden Reed is probably NFL bound. Obviously, Kenneth Walker. I think Dane Brugler had him at uh, in his top fifty, the only running back in his top fifty uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, JD Duplain was a guy that Ohio State recruited. I don't know how much they were on him in that class. Um, yeah, he should be on Ohio State's roster. Him, him, and Nick's uh, same same act should be. They both should be on Ohio State's roster. It was like <laughs> the fact that they didn't get either of those kids is like late blooming, under recruited in state offensive lineman is is to me as someone who Wasn't likes offensive. Wasn't like a top two hundred player? They offered him late. Um, and they offered same act late. It was like it's the same deal that like, they missed on their guys, so they offered someone in state late, and then they didn't get them, which is like to me as egregious as not getting the five star guy in the first place. But anyway, continue, Colton. <laughs> that, and those two were big wins for Michigan State. I remember that at the time. Um, Xavier Henderson, safety. He's an Ohio kid. I think he grew up kind of outside of Columbus, if I recall, or at least a, was Pickerington. He, he Pickerington, went, yeah, yeah, one of those schools. Yeah. Um, so he's another guy. I think is an NFL dude, but obviously. You know, there's a big talent discrepancy here. Uh, Michigan State's still working to fix that. Um, I think they feel they have some pieces. I don't know exactly how many pieces would start on Ohio State, but, um, you know, in terms of spots where they probably feel good, where Michigan State probably feels good, I mean, anytime you have a running back with Kenneth Walker, I think you feel good about your chances running the ball. I think the offensive line is still gelling together. I think Walker has made that offensive line better by comparison just because, you know, the things that he can do and – the the guy the, the the people that he can make miss in space like some of his runs are just incredible like I've never seen a running back like him in person um, I think Mel Tucker said the other day on the CFP show that he might be the best running back one of the best players he's ever coached so anytime you have a guy like that I'm sure you feel good about running the ball um, I think the big thing for Michigan State will be Peyton Thorne and he played really well last week against Maryland that was probably one of his best games ever 
It was 22 of 30, um, you know, 280 something yards, four touchdowns. Um, I think he's going to need to be that guy against this Ohio State defense, um, which I know they got off to a shaky start. They seem to be playing better of late, um, but I think they're going to need that balance between the run and the pass game. Um, and as for Ohio State, you know, it's no secret that Michigan State's secondary is uh, pretty trash. Um, you know, they, <laughs> I think they lead the country in passing yards per game allowed. Um, a little bit better in yards per attempt because that defense has kind of seen the most plays in the country, I think, like 80-something per game. Um, but, you know, C.J. Stroud can carve up this defense. So I think that's, you know, one of the keys for them is just, you know, staying consistent, throwing to your receivers, just getting it out there because I think those those um, those plays will be available. Michigan State runs a system where they, um, they'll play their corners, you know, five, seven yards off the ball. They don't want to get beat deep. The other knee stuff is going to be there for any team that wants it. But also when you have receivers like this in a passing game like this, they're going to be able to stretch the field. They're going to be able to do whatever they want in the passing game, I think. So it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't even know where Michigan State would feel good other than Kenneth Walker, really. But, um, you know, again, you got you to play the game and see what happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Landis, you just said that you weren't sure if Kenneth Walker would have started at Ohio State this year. And Ohio State's starting running back's a true freshman. He's great. Trayvon Henderson is good. He's a future NFL dude. You can tell that right now. So, not to say that Walker <laughs> isn't. Like, he's great in his own right, but I don't – I'm not saying that Bill is right or wrong. I just think it's just a reminder sometimes of just the, the stark talent advantage that Ohio State has in a lot of these games. Where it's like Michigan State has a generational player at, at running back. And we're not even sure if he's better than Ohio State's freshman at the same position. I will say, you know, I will say, you put Walker behind that offensive line, easy, like twenty. Yeah, yeah no, I know. <laughs> I'm not trying to imply that Walker isn't yeah, great. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's like the leading. The fact that it's Heisman a conversation itself love. is just crazy. Yeah, that's right. That's it's just yeah. like, I still think I'd probably take. I don't know. I, I, I kind of think. Watch it. I kind of think in like a weird way, like. Kenneth Walker kind of combines all the stuff. He's not he's not he's not the game breaker that Trevion is, but I think he's got pretty good long speed. Uh, but he also has like patience that reminds me a little bit of like Mayan Williams, and, and that's the thing I think Trevion Henderson lacks sometimes is patience when and letting stuff develop and like finding that cutback lane. Um, Kenneth Walker's great at that. So yeah, Kenneth Walker behind behind Ohio State's offensive line I, would would certainly be every bit the Heisman Trophy candidate he is right his, now. His vision is unreal. It's probably the best I've seen from a running back. I will say you can't teach that stuff. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the thing that he can do naturally, not very many running backs can just like cut back into a lane that you didn't know existed the way that he can. Right. Go ahead, Cole. Let no, you're good. Know. I was going to say I think the thing with Henderson too is we're kind of I think part of it is we're projecting what he's going to be in a couple of years because he's already great now as a freshman, but when he's mm. a junior, what he's going to look like, right? Like, yeah. No, so I think he's pretty. I would take him now, and, <laughs> and that's what's scary about what you're saying about him being a junior. Yeah. Like, I think if this was what he was in three years, he would still be one of the best quarterback or running backs in college yeah. football. Yeah, and that's if he doesn't develop, get bigger, or even faster. Right. Colton, can I ask just a blunt question? Because sure. like we did a lot of grab ass of like, hey, we're, we're, like, do people think Michigan State and East Lansing can win this game? Um. Like, is that an expectation? I, you know, you have fans a, that are a, like, oh, we're in every game and, you know, you know, we're going to fight until the very end. I don't think any of the media thinks that they're going to win. I, you know, I haven't seen anyone projecting an MSU upset. So <laughs> I'm certainly not. I think Michigan, I think Ohio State's going to, you know, handle this somewhat easily. Um, but I don't know. I think Michigan State, if everything goes right, can give them a game. It's just how long can that be? Like, how can you... Can you make it a one-point game in the or one-point score in the in the fourth quarter? One of those games until Ohio State pulls ahead, or is this going to be one of those games, maybe like 2019, where 
close in the first quarter, then Ohio State has that second quarter that they just completely pull away, and it's not really close anymore at that point. I don't know. Because you, you weren't on the beat yet, but these Michigan State teams have given Ohio State teams sure. trouble. Yeah. Historically. Yeah. I think part Not in a while, though. Well... Not in a, well, not in a while. So, but we were there when... But Ohio State was yeah. at the apex of their dynasty assembly. Yes. They lost to Michigan State. So, and I think that's yeah, one of the, you know that's one of the things that's been discussed this week. Like the 2015 team, people are starting to draw you know parallels to 2015 and 2021, where you know you're in the top 10, you're kind of on the outside looking in. You have this massive game against Ohio State. I think both those games are in we're in Columbus, or in, this one's in Columbus. Uh, mm-hmm. 2015, talking about that one. Now Peyton Thorne just has to get injured. Yeah, get now, yeah, put the backup <laughs> in. And, <laughs> um. I, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe there's a little bit of belief in, like, let's see if we can find some magic here and, you know, keep our playoff hopes alive for another week and kind of see where things go. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. Like, you're looking at this Ohio State team, and they're the best offense in the country, and Michigan State's defense has just not held up, and this will be their by far the best offense they've played all season. So I think there's a little bit of – I shouldn't say a little bit, a lot of concern that <laughs> this might end up being a blowout as well. Um but at the same time, you know, there's a little bit of belief that who knows if things, a couple things go our way, maybe that defense, you know, look is looking suspect again. Um, maybe this can turn to a shootout. Um, maybe we can get a couple opportunistic plays, a couple turnovers, um, interception. Maybe we'll see. You know, I think that's kind of in the back of their mind, maybe a little bit. But again, I don't think anyone here is predicting um, a Michigan State upset. Can does, does Kenneth Walker have the? Uh... LJ Scott, 14 carry. I'm going to run nine minutes off the clock before we kick a game-winning field goal drive in him. Um, I don't Maybe he'll so. just run for a 90-yard touchdown. I was going to say, he's more likely to do that than put together one of those drives. But, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I, I have, like, two more things I want to talk about about the game itself, and then Ari can yell at you about cheeseburgers. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm interested in Ari's perspective on this, too, because I, I, was, I was listening to the beat with Nick Baumgartner and, and Brendan Quinn, who talk, they talk about Michigan and Michigan State. It's a great podcast. Colton's been on it before. They're always fun listens. Because yep. um, it's so Philly. That's right. I, I just like Brendan Quinn's thick-as-hell Philly Same accent. Gal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, Nick, Nick has convinced me, I think, that both Michigan State and Michigan – are like for lack of a of a more eloquent descriptor, like tough as shit, like really tough football teams that I, that I just don't think are going to show up against Ohio State and kind of cower before the thing's over. And and it's not to say that Ohio State can't get up early on either team because Ohio State's very good, very talented. But I am finding myself wondering a little bit, like if Michigan State can kind of withstand that first blow. And, and Ohio State doesn't run out in front of them like the way it ran out in front of Purdue and and frankly has has kind of lived rather comfortably in, in all these games. Um, even the ones that were a little closer than we thought they were, like I don't think they were like felt like it was kind of on the line or, or, or in jeopardy of them losing. But Oregon came here in week two and like beat Ohio State's ass like up and down the field on both sides of the ball, starting up front on on both lines. And I'm wondering like is Michigan State at all, if everything went right, like built to do that against Ohio State? That's that's a great question. Um, in terms of toughness, I would say, I would say, like Michigan State is more mentally tough. Not that they aren't physically tough because they are, but like the the mindset, the mentality of this team is like unlike any I've covered. Where you know, in the Miami game, they fell behind a little bit. No one, you know. 
no one really uh, backed out. They never backed down. They're like, all right, well, let's regroup. We're going to get our shit together, and we're going to go out, and we're going to win this game. They did that in Miami against a team with far more talent than them. I know Miami's had their struggles this year, but that was kind of a turning point this season and kind of a, a game that solidified that mentality for them. You know, Mel Tucker talks about this deep water approach. We're going to take, we're going to drag them to the end of the, you know, the deep water with us. That's kind of what they coined after that Miami game. Um, they call the student sex in the deep end now where it's like, mm-hmm. well, we can live down here where it's dark and wet. Like this is where we thrive. Like we want to bring you down here with us. If you can't deal with that, you can't, you're going to have to go back up to the surface. That's kind of like their mentality. And we saw it against Nebraska. Um, Nebraska probably should have won that game. They're up like late in that game in the fourth quarter. And um, Michigan State, they're like, well, we're just going to make a play. Jaden Reed goes out there, returns a, a you know 66-yard punt return um, for a touchdown, tie the game up, and they win it with an interception and a field goal in overtime. And uh, same thing against Michigan. You know, you go down, what was it, 30 to 14 in the uh, third quarter, six minutes left, and they're like, all right, let's just regroup, keep chopping. That's what he says, uh, Mel Tucker says. Um, and they go back it's out the there shot. and they, they – outscore them 23 to 3 over the final you know half you know quarter and a half there and they win that game so this team is mentally tough and i don't think they're going to be phased by ohio state's size and their speed out there um and again if if it's a close game they're going to think that they have a chance now if it's a blowout you know you you go down 21 to 3 early on then you're not Mm -hmm. feeling good but if they can keep it close for half maybe in the third quarter they're going to believe that they have a chance to win, and then at that point, it's just about making the plays to get those, um, to get the win that you need. So we'll see, but I'm not again. I'm not too confident. Well, the, the reason I ask that is because, and, and that's what I kind of want to ask Ari too. Is like, I, I, you know, the talent the talent gap is what it is, and I'm much more inclined to believe that Ohio State wins this game comfortably, and the spread is nearly three touchdowns for a reason. But Ari, like hypothetically, if, if Michigan State were somehow able to to keep this a close game in the first half and like Ohio State is legitimately in a sweater, what's your confidence level that they're built to handle that? Because I don't I don't know if I'd have a ton of confidence in their ability to handle that right now based on the few times they've been in those moments this year and how they played in those moments. Yeah, I mean, if Michigan State's in a one-possession game in the fourth quarter, that means they've done everything right for the first three. And at that point, like I, I don't think that this version of Ohio State is unbeatable. I mean, we've covered some really good teams the last few years. I mean, the 2019 team, you know, with Justin Fields, like this team has had and shown that at least has some defensive deficiencies. So, mm-hmm. like, I think for sure that if it's a one-score game in the third quarter, that means that Michigan State's probably scored into the upper 20s or lower 30s because I don't think there's any scenario whatsoever where Ohio State's got 17 points in no. the fourth quarter. And if Michigan State is scoring into the 30s at that point, then I like in my mind, I would think that they would have a very good shot of winning the game because that means they figured out how to get through Ohio State's defense, and it's a water boy. Oh no, we suck again. Moment, you know. And if they're in that position, then I'm with you, Landis. Like I don't think that there's, like I, I mean, I, I think that there's a scenario where Ohio State could win this game 56 to 17, mm-hmm. but I also think there's a scenario where Michigan State could win 35 to 31. You know, if if they get things going because Michigan State can score, they've got Kenneth Walker, who's a Heisman favorite. You know, and Ohio State's defense hasn't been locked down all year. So, you know, of the of the games that we like to analyze, like we talk about Ohio State's talent and whatnot, but yes, this is a team that controls its own destiny, and yes, it's a team that I believe will make the playoff, but this isn't some team that I think is untouchable. Yeah. I think we're two quarters or two and a half quarters away from being right back, brought right back down to earth. Yeah, I think that's right. And it's just, it's, again, like I'm not, I don't, I don't think I'm like, I'm anywhere near like thinking like maybe Ohio State's going to lose this game. I think they're going to win because I think they got some stuff figured out last week, uh, especially on, on offense. But there's like a little bit, 
in the back of my mind, like if it doesn't go their way, like from the jump, I just like I'm, I'm very curious, kind of about the makeup of Ohio State and whether or not it can overcome that and, and ultimately pull a pull a tight game out against what I think is a good team. I will um, say, there's no scenario where Michigan State wins a low scoring game. Like Ari said, this is gonna have to be a shootout, yeah. which is funny because Mel Tucker was asked about that this week. And he was like, to be honest, the phrase shootout makes me want to vomit. That's not how we think about things. And I'm like, well, man, you might have to win a, a 40 to 38 type of game, man, if you're going to get this one. So we'll see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Last thing then on the game for me, Colton. Um, I think there are there are reasons to be concerned if you're Ohio State's defense coming into this. Um, one is they were not very good stopping the run in the first two games, and they haven't really played a good rushing team since then. So I, I'm not sure how certain you can be about their ability to, to to shut down Kenneth Walker. And then the play action pass game against what is a you know a, what I consider to be fairly undisciplined. Um, back seven for Ohio State would scare me too if Michigan State's able to run the ball the way they want to. But the the times this year where Michigan State's offense has like been shut down for lack of a better term, or, or someone's given them problems, like what what has that looked like? Because I'm kind of curious if, if what that's looked like is something Ohio State can do. Yeah, I mean the Nebraska game is probably a good example of that, um, where Kenneth Walker was bottled up for I think like 44 yards through the first four quarters before overtime. And um, they were just kind of swarming to him. You know, they were uh, controlling the cutback lanes. They were kind of clogging up the middle. Like, he really had nowhere to run, and some of that was on the offensive line. So if you can swarm to Walker because he can make guys miss, That's he's great in space. If you're disciplined, you're tackling, and you're, you know, staying home and you're able to bottom him up, that kind of extends to the rest of the offense because Michigan State loves to play action. Thorne's been money all year on play action. I think he's got, like, 15 or 16 touchdown passes um, of his, you know, 21 this year on play action. He scored four on a flea flicker alone. Um, so, like, it, it's stuff like that where, you know, if Walker's not a running threat and, and Ohio State feels good about bottling him up, then it's like, all right, this is on Thorne to kind of win this game. And uh, I think it's a lot easier for him when Walker's doing what he's doing. It kind of makes him feel comfortable. He kind of settles in. It looks like, you know, the game manager plus type that he is where – you know, he's not going to make too many mistakes on the field, but he can also give you the deep ball. Um, so if, if that's working with Walker, um, Walker's, you know, going off for 140 yards and Thorne feels good about throwing to Jaden Reed and maybe Jalen Naylor comes back. He's missed the last couple games. I think he'll probably feel good. But if Walker is shut down and it's all on Thorne to win, you know, we'll see. I think he's going to have to rise to the occasion. Um, I think he can. But does that guarantee a win? Does that, you know, push them closer to a win? Who knows? So... Yeah, I think uh, 
Ohio State's not been a, like a terrible tackling team all year, but they were a pretty bad tackling team against Purdue. They had like eight missed tackles in that game that led to like 200 yards after the catch for them. And I realize tackling a receiver in space is different than trying to corral Kenny Walker when he's running behind the line. But that's like as simple as it sounds. It's like I think that's where it, where it is for Ohio State. It's like can these can these linebackers flow to where they need to flow to and tackle Kenneth Walker before he gets behind them and then starts popping big plays. And if they can do that, I think Ohio State's fine. It's just that they've not faced a – they haven't faced a running back that scares you um, probably since Mo Ibrahim or, or C.J. Verdell, and they haven't faced a team that's even like like mildly efficient running the ball since those first two weeks too. So I think it's a, it's a rather big unknown for Ohio State. Um, Verdell had a pretty good game, right? Yeah, yeah. Verdell had a good game. Um, it's with the two the two best running backs Ohio State played this year are no longer playing this year, so um, it's kind of a weird thing. But yeah, Verdell and, and Mo Ibrahim had kind of had their what, way. What do you get in that, Bill? It's just it's just odd. Like it's not. <laughs> no, no. It's hard. It's hard to say. Like it's it's hard sometimes to think like, oh, those two guys are really good against Ohio State, and like you want to point to something that says like they've continued on that track, and it's like neither one of them is playing anymore, so it's kind of hard. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all I had on the game. Are, are you ready to yell about cheeseburgers? Unless you had something else to ask Colton about this game. Here's the thing. I've already yelled at Colton about the cheeseburger thing. I want Colton to explain to you his position on In-N-Out, and I want you to yell at him. Yeah, yeah, let me hear because I like In-N-Out. Hit me with a Colton. Look, I, Ari's, try, Ari's trying to twist my words here. All right? I, In-N-Out's not, like, terrible. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's overrated, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Um, you know, it's hyped up on, like, if you go on Instagram, you – I don't know, like a food porn account, like one of those things. Like you'll see in and out, like all. Over I follow the place, plenty of those. All over the place, right? And I've tried it. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's see what this is about. And I remember trying it for the first time. I'm just like, it's just a burger. You know, I don't really see anything special about this place. Like I would take like Five Guys or like Culver's over In and Out if I'm being honest. Like In and Out's good. It's better than McDonald's or Wendy's or some shit like that. I just don't. I don't get the the hype about it. I think it's just one of those West Coast delicacies that people like to hype up for no reason. That's that was kind of my stance. Two uh, things. Hold on before one, before you say that. In and can, I, can I just say like, I thought his takes were going to be much harsher than that, Ari, and I I kind of agree with him. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, Landis not agreeing with me is super on brand for this. <laughs> The thing that I take exception to is two things. One, Colton thinks that In-N-Out is successful because of its branding. Like the California Cool yeah. logo and like the box and the car and all that stuff. And Okay, fine. But two, he compares it to places that aren't fast food. I'm comparing it to burger places. You're saying Five Guys is not fast food. Like Five Guys and In-N-Out are not the same class. If you go into Five Guys and you spend $13 burger. on this because I was saying that they are comparable and Ari was saying that they weren't. Ari's trying to compare it to McDonald's and Wendy's. Do you think that In-N-Out Burger King. and Five Guys are the same class of restaurant, Landis? Um, They're burger joints. It's tough. Burger it's tough because it's not like – One is a fast casual restaurant that has a way higher price point. One is a drive-thru. They're burger, they're burger joints. Yeah, but, you can, but it's not like you go to Five Guys and sit down and the waiter comes to your table and you're waiting 25 minutes yeah, for your burger. You go up to the counter, restaurant. you order, and it's in your hand in five minutes. It's more. Okay. Like, I think it's more or less the same thing. It's I feel fifteen dollars like, to go to Five Guys. It better be better than yeah. Well, if you want to argue, if you want to argue, argue quality uh, vis-a-vis price point, I, I suppose that's fair. But in terms of like the experience, I feel like I walk up to the counter, I order my food, I get it, in just about the same time as I would at Five Guys as I do compared to In and Out, and I sit down and, and, and experience eating it the same way. So I think that it's I just think that In and Out is undeniably the best fast food burger. And if you want to say that restaurants that aren't fast food are better than it, that's fine. But 
but it's by far the best fast Are, food burger. You were, you were, your whole thing was price point, and you were trying to compare it to Burger King and Wendy's and McDonald's. And by that logic, sure. Because those are the same restaurants in the no, same class. I, I think you've got to open it up more. You're, it's too narrow. Like, include Five Guys, include Culver's, include any other burger joint that's like... I include Culver's. Culver's makes a great burger. Like, I'll listen to that conversation. I like Culver's more than In-N-Out. Yeah. But, like, what overrated means to me that people think that In-N-Out is the best burger on the face of the earth. And I don't think anybody's no. saying that. I think if you went to Ruby Tuesdays or Chili's or... No one said that. And I, I agree. I'm saying, like... <laughs> what is overrated, then? What does what, what overrated mean, then? Tell me what that means, then, if I'm, if I'm putting words in people's mouth. I think the fact... The love that it gets... It's like those tweets where you have, like, talent recognition. Like... I think yeah. recognition is is way up at the top, and I think the the talent of the burger is kind of like middle of the pack. You know, I think it's like. But then at the but how could it be overrated if it's superior it's, to it every other burger in the same class? Good, it should match the recognition that it gets. How does it not though? I don't understand. I don't like Ohio State has great brand recognition, and then their football team's got better players. What's the like, same thing? It's not that much better than what you would find at most other places. That's all I'm saying. I think it's slightly better. I think it's significantly better than what you would find at most other places in its class. <laughs> I think I. I see. I, I'm going to sit on the fence here. I see where you're both coming from, right. but I do. Uh, I do tend to agree with Colton that that it does feel like the the recognition is outsized a little bit compared to the quality of burger. That's also, the sexiness of the place and the brand is also part of the experience. And it's yeah. part like of that's what it is. Why. When you're eating in and out, you're in California. It's yeah, cool. Like and it tastes yeah. good, and it's the same exact. <laughs> it's the same exact class of food as McDonald's. Mm. I will say the few times I've been in the In and Out, like. It's usually in a nice place, so like the surroundings are nice. But once you're inside, it's like every other fast food joint. And the last time I was in In-N-Out, the guy who served me was high out of his mind. <laughs> like it's not some. Well, what, do you, what it's am I? Some, it's some a fast food worker. Who cares? Good for him. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not like you know. There's palm trees on the Landis, cup, but I don't feel like I'm in. Let me put Bahamas it this way: I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna play a game here, and I want you both to play. I'm the host. You're the contestants. I'm gonna the the game show is called What Burger Is Better? Okay. Okay. And what in and out is always one choice, and I'm going to go down the list, and you both answer and be completely honest. Okay. McDonald's. In and out. In and out. Why did you hesitate? You have to be honest. Like, why, <laughs> wait, why are you it. hesitating? I was thinking about it. Damn. That was a hesitation, was, Colton. Thinking, you got to be forthright here. You know, <laughs> the Whopper. In and out. The Whopper's kind of fire, man. I don't know. <laughs> in and out, probably. I haven't had a Whopper in a It's minute, flame so. broiled. Like the thing about In N Out, it, it has flavorful meat on it, which is not a typical experience that you'll get at a fast food restaurant. Okay, this is going to be interesting. Wendy's. Mm. I think I'm on, I, I'm, I'm on Wendy's with that one, I think. Then you're on Colton's team, then. You're 100% then. Yeah. Then you're like not even on the In N Out train, too. Then I'm alone here. Same, honestly. Yeah. Okay, then if that's Push. what you guys think, then I respect your opinion, but we're not going to agree. <laughs> Like, if you don't think that the, the quality of the In-N-Out burger is much better than its price point and much better than its peers, then you're right. I think All it right. is a very good burger for its price yep. point. But if I'm going, if I'm doing blind taste tests and you put an In-N-Out burger and, and a Wendy's burger in front of me, I think I'm liking the Wendy's a little more. Discussion over. All right. All right. Wow. Like I, I mean, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> then I guess In-N-Out is, is overrated. Thank you. I think that's. I think that that is an argument won by. I don't agree bouncing. with you, but like if you if you if your belief is that the Wendy's hamburger is better than the In and Out, then your belief is that In and Out is overrated. There's no, I take like, I take Five Guys, Culver's, Wendy's, all over In and Out. I have to think about a couple more places. What about Whataburger? Yeah. 
I like In and Out more than Whataburger. If we're talking just burgers, I would probably take In and Out, but Whataburger has some good chicken sandwiches. I'll say that. I like that Ari Ari's just He's staring at us inside. <laughs> because it's it's fucking bullshit. Like it's like I don't even know how you could possibly think this. It's like I, it's like it's dumbfounding to me that you could think that Wendy's hamburger tastes better than an ounce. It's it's an, it's unequivocally false. So if you're like going to like mess with me or like create a, like uh, sure a conversation because you want to disagree with me and it's cool, that's fine. That opinion is the dumbest freaking opinion I've ever heard in my entire life. I promise you I'm not I'm not saying it just to mess with you. I actually, okay. I actually believe that. I think it's, I think it's close. That is your worst food take that we've, that you've ever had in our five years of friendship. <laughs> I'll, I'll own that. That's fine. I'll own that. Yeah. I will, if you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't turn it off ten minutes ago, let us know uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think uh, about the Wendy's burger compared to the In and Out burger. You know what? Maybe if they, uh, if I got the Wendy's burger and a frosty and the frosty cup had palm trees on it, maybe I'd think it, it would taste better. Yeah. So you think it's branding too? I think part of it is branding. Yeah. West Coast is cool, man. Nothing wrong with that. They're leaning into it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is a good burger. I don't think it tastes bad. I think it's a good burger. It's just not the greatest burger. I think it's a tremendous burger for its class and price point. That's my that's I don't my disagree point. I agree. with that. I agree 100% with that. You do because you think Wendy's is better. No. What you just no, said about it being well, good for its it? price point, I don't – You said it's overrated no, as to I what? It's it's what is it being compared to? It's not being compared and the, to and a, a, a steakhouse and all that stuff and the L.A. vibes. That's all I'm saying, I, and I think there are other spots that are better. That's why I think it's overrated. So you're saying that think, if it was just a regular hamburger in a place that it didn't have a that's cool Instagram following, that it would I'm be a great burger, but because it has a cool that brand, that it's overrated? Give me that. That's all I'm trying to say. What you just said about price point and, and being good for its price point, I, I don't disagree. And I said that in L.A. It's tremendous for its price point, and it bothers me that you think there's other burgers in the same price point at crappy fast food restaurants that make a better burger. It like irks I'm me to the core of who I am. Quick burger joints. I think there are a couple spots that I would take over In and Out. Whereas the reputation yeah, In and Out has, them, so can we end this? The podcast? reputation that In and Out has is that it's the best. That's all. <clears throat> well, that was fun. That was fun. I really enjoyed myself. I like being blindsided by burger takes. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of it's kind of what we do here on this I'm like, podcast. I, I expected he's, this from you, Colton, because we had this conversation. Right I'm bitterly disappointed in Landon. <laughs> yeah, but I can't figure out. I don't know why. I don't know why you're disappointed in me because I like Wendy, a Wendy's burger just as much as I like an In-N-Out burger. Sorry, man. No, you said you like it more. That's exactly what you I said. I said if you gave me a blind taste test, I would probably pick the Wendy's burger. I can't say for sure. You know what we need to do? We need to do research. So put an In-N-Out burger in front of me and a Bill, Wendy's burger in front of me. You would know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Take them out of the wrapper. Put a blindfold on me. You wouldn't know. Put them on the table. Oh, give me a break. I would be able to tell you what every single hamburger was blindly face tested just eaten from where it was. Are you kidding me? Of course you would know. Yeah, they taste different. I know, but like I would know if you if you put me at a table and you blindfolded me and you took a, a whopper. What if someone uh, what if someone fed it to you so you couldn't get your hands on it before you ate it? Yeah. I would know. I would know exactly where everything is from. No, but I think oh I thought what you're getting at is like a Wendy like they have different feels to them, they're built differently. So you'd be able to tell immediately which one was different the second you picked it up. I think that's true. If somebody hand fed me or fed me the burger with it wrapped and I was sitting at a table I would know where it was from without touching it or unwrapping it or seeing it. Yeah, of course. And then I would think the one from Wendy's tasted better. I don't even think okay, you need so to do all this. What does the taste test have anything to do with anything? You already know what they are. I don't are. even think you need in to do head, any of this because Landis has tried both while seeing, looking at them with his own two eyes. I know. That's why I'm trying to understand why he wants to do a taste test. He knows Wendy's what they taste little, like. A little higher. That's all. Yeah. Well, I don't know what you want from me then. I just like Wendy's better, man. Leave me alone. We're allowed to have different takes. Also, Colton was right and you were wrong. Okay. 
This is the most least surprising bullshit ever. I, lo- this, I love being I'm, on this I gotta podcast. Go. This is great stuff. Yeah. Uh, All right. We, we appreciate it having you, Colton. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on, on 4 to 6 with AMB. Thank you yep. for your astute Michigan State football observations and your correct takes on cheeseburgers. We really do appreciate it. Thank you guys uh, for listening. Ohio State already just signed off. <laughs> Ohio State and Michigan State play on Saturday at noon on ABC. Uh, Ari, well, I'll be back to talk with you after that. I don't know if Ari's going to come back on the show or not, but but hopefully he'll join us again. So, so thanks, Colton, and we'll see you on Saturday in the shoe. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll talk to you guys later.